Welcome to Peak Mind. I'm your host, Michael Trainer, and I'm extremely excited for this week's episode with the one and only Light Watkins. Light is an incredible meditation teacher. He is a thought leader. He is about to release his third book. His first book, The Inner Gym, was really profound for me in thinking about the brain and mindfulness in a way that I think is really accessible and really pragmatic in terms of how our mindfulness and meditation practice can be the equivalent of, of taking our, our, ourselves to the gym. And in essence, taking our, our mind and, and starting to work the muscle of our mind consciously. He also releases a daily uh, dose on his social media that I find um, often garnered and chuck full of insights. And I think you'll get a lot of benefit out of this conversation. We cover a lot of ground from nomadic living to the notion of true security to following your charm and how to tap into your inner knowing. Um, It's really, really a beautiful conversation. Before we get into it, I want to give a shout out to another company that I love, uh, Mudwater. Mudwater is uh, a coffee alternative that I've been using for years now. It's got four adoptogenic mushrooms and Ayurvedic herbs all pure, natural, high-integrity ingredients, has a seventh of the caffeine of a, of a cup of coffee. So you get the energy, but without the anxiety, the jitters, and the crash that's usually associated with coffee. The ingredients are, are world-class and all formulated for a purpose. So they have cacao and chai for mood and a microdose of caffeine. Lion's Mane for alertness, Cordyceps to help support physical performance, Chaga and Rishi to support your immune system, Turmeric for soreness, and Cinnamon for antioxidants. It's all 100% USDA, organic, non-GMO, gluten-free, vegan, Whole30, and kosher. My kind of party. If you want to get some, uh, I highly recommend the subscription. If you put in Peak Mind at checkout, you'll get $5 off your subscription. Amazing product. I highly recommend it. With that, it is my great pleasure to introduce the one, the only, Light Watkins. All right. I am here with a dear friend, Light Watkins. Light, how are you? Amazing. Honored to be here with you, man. I mean, this has been a long time in the making, this this conversation (laughs) on the podcast. Yeah, It has. So for context, for those listening, uh, I've known Light for... Many years. I don't know if we've hit a decade yet, but probably six, seven years um, from when you were living in Venice, which is now a couple of years ago. But uh, mm-hmm. and I remember going to the launch of your first book, The Inner Gym, at, at I think one of the world's first meditation studios here in Los mm-hmm. Angeles. Mm-hmm. You're about to launch actually your third book, uh, and mm-hmm. I, which we haven't talked about yet, just got back from a writing retreat in Guatemala to hopefully uh, launch my first book. Um, so I've, I've been curious to have a conversation one, cause I love, I've been loving your sort of daily doses, these, these inspirational sort of insights that you've been sharing. And I think there, there's something that I think would be beneficial for, for my community, but also really to tap into, because I know that this is something that you've, I think become quite adept at, through your meditation practice. Um, but that notion of, of, 
of the inner GPS, if you will, the inner the inner guidance system. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I think I think in this time, you know, we are now coming out of theoretically, many of us at least, this collective fall, if you will, in the form of a pandemic, and emerging into what I hope will be a personal spring for many of us. But I think a lot of us have lost our, our traditional anchors, uh, the things that, that we used to use to sort of ground ourselves. And one of the things I wanted to start off by asking you is, given that you have been nomadic and have embraced in a way um, uncertainty as part of your core lifestyle, more so than many, yet you occur to me as a profoundly grounded human being and find that home <laughs> seemingly within, what are some of the insights that you could share for those who are preparing to emerge into this personal spring on how to get clear within so as to be able to navigate through some of these uncertain realities that we all will be facing? Man, that is such a good question. It's such a relevant question for these times. And one of the caveats I... I always make when we have when I have this conversation with people because I have it uh, fairly on a regular basis is I didn't wait until the times became uncertain to start getting clear (laughs) inside like I I was really intentional about making the inner clarity a priority in my life Uh, you know because I've been doing the whole meditation thing for about 20 years now and doing it like clockwork for 20 years, like not even like sporadically every now and again, but every day, like clockwork. And, and the cumulative effect of that is you start to hear your inner guidance a lot, a lot um, more clearly. And so the moves that I'm making today are really the byproduct of that cumulative effect, right? It's just like somebody who invested in Apple in the 1980s or someone who's investing, who invested in crypto. crypto. I remember five or six years ago, I was at a party at Jay Ferris's house in Venice. And um, I met these two guys and they were telling me about this digital currency and how this is going to be the next big thing. And, and the guy was so excited about it. He actually opened up his Coinbase account, which I'd never heard of before. And he got me like a dollar's worth of Bitcoin. He said, here, just, you know, put some more money in when you can, but I'll start you off with a dollar. And this was like, again, this was like five years. I never even thought about it. I was like, okay, fine. Thank you. You know, and got, took, took my phone back. And uh, man, if I had put a hundred dollars <laughs> into that account back then, I probably would, you know, I'd be one of those people who, who, you know, became an instant, whatever, you know, I probably have half a million dollars or something like that, but I didn't know the cumulative effect of of that technology. And, and I put meditation as in the category of inner technology that has the same type of, of dividends. Um, And the great thing about, well, obviously there's the, the saying, you know, the best time to start was 20 years ago. Second best time is today. But the, the great thing about it is that no matter when you start investing in that inner technology, you still get the same, um, it still grows to the same degree. You still get the same dividends. You have to put in your time. But I, I, I don't know if I could make the moves that I've been making as far as, you know, giving up everything and going nomadic, living out of a back, a single backpack, if I had not been um, 
investing in in my inner guidance for as long as I have been. So I just want to make that clear um, because I think that that's the proper sequence, right? Instead of getting rid of all your stuff and then starting your your inner practices, I would say to your listeners, start your inner practices today, start investing in them. And then once you get some momentum, listen to what they're instructing you to do because your your path may not be going nomadic or giving away all your things right your path may be something else and it's not to say you can't do those other things it's just that you know we we all have all these ideas about what we want to do and I was just talking to some friends of mine about that today in, in my men's group is I's taken a it's, it's tough for me to stay focused on the like two things that I want to really grow and expand because I, I get all these amazing creative ideas in my practice. And, you know, I meet people like you and like you're in Tulum. I was like, I want to go to Tulum and be like Michael Trainer, or I want to, you know, start up a coaching program like my friend Preston Smiles and, and do that. Or I want to, you know, be getting into politics. I'm reading Barack Obama's book right now. And that sounds amazing, but you have to stay focused, man, because Otherwise, you're not going to get anything. You're not going to blaze any kind of path. So, um, you know, you'll learn what your path is from investing in your inner work. And it's the whole it's really the be do model to to life. You know, instead of doing first and then in order to try to be happy, be happy, be fulfilled first within and then allow that to inform your next move. Yeah, beautifully, beautifully said, I think for for many listening, and I've, I've talked about that distinction uh, on the show before, you know, I think we are culturally and societally sold this fallacy that that if only we we have a certain thing, then we'll finally be happy, right? Whatever that thing is, if it's the perfect partner, the house, the girlfriend, the car, once we have that, then we'll be happy. But you're absolutely right. It's backwards. It's, it's from our beingness that actually we generate the results in our life and and that sense of fulfillment that comes from beyond whatever that havingness is. Um, I think what's interesting, though, for those listening is, you know, one could hear, and I think the distinction you made is is extraordinarily appropriate, right? It's your nomadicness or your ability to discern between some of the things. I mean, you're a master in Vedic meditation, right? One of, one of the distinctions I love in Vedic meditation is that notion of following your charm, which to Mm. me is that those insights that come from that internal GPS that get clearer and clearer, or shall I say more and more resonant as you do that inner work, as you take yourself to the inner gym. That said, um, for those listening who may not have 20 years of practice in the inner gym, you know, the question is, well, then how do I get to that place of being so as to know and discern between the various things that seem charming, right? Like, as you said, Barack Obama, Tulum, you know, coaching program, right? Like many of us have those equivalents in our life. Um, and we don't necessarily know which is worthy of our attention or our focus, can you kind of break down? I know meditation, for example, uh, is is unquestionably one of your core inner practices. Are there other inner tools that you use to, to um, if you will, separate the noise from the signal, so that that so that that that, that the, the, those who are who are looking to train that level of beingness 
can perhaps apply some of those tools uh, to their own lives? Yeah, no, really, another really good question. You ask great questions. Thanks. Um, <laughs> you know, I, as you mentioned earlier, I'm, I'm, I consider myself to be a very grounded person. While I've dabbled in um, a few other, you know, past life regression, hypnotherapy, uh, you know, uh, kundalini, a big yoga practitioner, blah, blah, blah. I find the meditation to be the most efficient because I don't have a lot of time. And I think I'm not unique in that. I think a lot of people would consider themselves to be relatively busy and, um, and they want to know how do I just, what's the, what's the minimum viable experience that I can have that's going to give me the maximum returns. And I would, I would say meditation is in that category. So you, you mentioned my first book, the inner gym, like that's, the how the inner gems. This is how you cultivate happiness because it goes beyond meditation. And we, I talk about gratitude exercises. I talk about uh, intentionally practicing slowing down and patience and random act of kindness and all that's all of those things, which are also very, very powerful practices, right? Where you don't have to sit on a cushion to do, you actually can do those in your daily life. But again, with the meditation, what the meditation does is it makes it easier to be grateful. It makes it easier to be generous and feel abundant. It makes it easier to slow down and to be patient and all those other things. So I consider meditation to be the key domino that will then initiate other practices that can be equally uh, beneficial, right? But just being gratitude is not necessarily going to inspire you to meditate or just uh slowing down is not going to inspire you to meditate whereas meditation can inspire you to do all of the, all of those other things and then you start to get some momentum going on a broader scale not just in your inner practice but also in your relationships because guess what the more grateful you are in life intentionally you're going to have better relationships right? Because people want to relate to other people who are naturally grateful for who they are, where they are, what they have, et cetera. The more abundant you feel, the more generous you are, you're going to cultivate that in your relationships. And that's going to make them better. You're slowing down. You're listening now. You're being more intentional, more mindful in your day-to-day interactions. There are no throwaway moments anymore. You become a time billionaire. That's going to create better relationships. And I just saw this TED talk this morning that came out like six years ago. I'm sure you've seen it. Maybe a lot of your other listeners have seen it, but it's about the the secret to happiness. And they talk, the guy talks about, um, there was the longest, one of the longest studies, if not the longest study in history was done at Harvard university started in the 1930s. They, they, uh, were tracking 700, I think sophomores from Harvard compared to hundreds of kids from the inner city neighborhoods and they tracked them for 75 years, all aspects of life, nutrition, exercise, job, um, satisfaction levels and this and that. And what they found at the end of the day, there's like 60 of them left. One of them became a president of the United States, other ones, you know, on welfare, everything in between. What they found was that the people who were self-described happiest after all that time were the people who had the best relationships. That was it. It wasn't about money. 
It wasn't about job. It wasn't about where you traveled to. It's just what were the quality of your relationships. And so, you know, ultimately that's what meditation is really supposed to be about. It's not about stopping your thoughts and what's happening inside of the practice is, hey, am I showing up as a better version of me in my life, in the world, on a day-to-day, moment-to-moment basis? And who better to discern that than the people you're relating to on a day-to-day basis? So when you see your relationships improve, when you see yourself choosing um, more viable partners and people, friendships and people to be around, that's how you can gauge progress with your inner work. But everything kind of feeds into that. Mm. So beautiful. And I don't even know if you know this, like, because I haven't shared it with you, but actually the book I'm writing is exactly about this topic. And that study is quoted in the book. So Robert Waldinger is the, is the, is the lead on that study and exactly right. Right. We, we chase, I think the shallow ghosts oftentimes of, of money or material objects. And yet the greatest corollary to our long-term both health and happiness. I think that was the other interesting insight was that actually that, that health and vitality and longevity were correlated uh, scientifically to the, the caliber of these relationships. And we've all, you know, we've all heard this adage of, you know, you become the sort of sum of the five people you spend the most time with. But I think, one of the things that I, I'm drawing a distinction in the book is, is around the inner work that then creates mm-hmm. the outer results manifest in the, ca- in the context and caliber of those relationships. So I know, for example, you, know, you and I have been friends for years, but, um, you know, and I'd always been interested and intrigued. And I know I've asked you before about, for example, your choice not to drink. Now, at, at, at present, I've actually been off alcohol now for about a year and a half. And what I've noticed is that the nature of my relationships have summarily changed. I, you know, I've forsaken, I would say, keeping it real. I've probably forsaken some fun nights, perhaps some casual connections, <laughs> you know, like, let's keep it real. That said, I've had not one hangover, you know, in terms of uh, in terms of the last year and a half. And the, the nature and caliber of my relationships has summarily improved. And one of the distinctions, which I think goes to the first question I asked you about as it relates to that no- Vedic notion of charm is one of the core distinctions I draw in the book, which is not my own, but I think is, is highly relevant, is this notion of batteries and black holes. You know, I think oftentimes culturally we're taught this notion of givers and takers, right? Is a person and a relationship, do, do they core, are, are they at their core? And we're all kind of on a spectrum, but we definitely know people in our lives that occur to us mostly as takers. They kind of drain us. And then others who are givers that are, you know, you know, always giving, being very generous of spirit, materially, et cetera. But what I think, while that's a helpful distinction, what I've noticed is someone can actually be a giver, but still be an energetic black hole. And that's Mm. why I like this idea of batteries and black holes, because someone could be a material giver, but still be energetically courting you or draining you because they could be leveraging as a tool of manipulation, their givingness out of some expectation, which, which still leaves you feeling drained. And so I love the idea of a battery and a black hole because it comes down to that inner thermostat, if you will, of which I think meditation is one of the greatest regulators um, to, to enable one to discern and determine If someone is a battery in their life, in other words, relating to that person leaves them charged up, 
or if mm-hmm. they're a black hole and, and, and relating to that person periodically leaves them drained. And I, and I talk about in the book of this notion of a relationship audit or a relational audit to determine, which, which also you do internally, determine you know, just how many of your relationships uh, long-term are, are draining or are additive, are, are charging you up. Mm-hmm. And I feel like it goes to this very core point that you so aptly discerned, which is if we do double down and invest first within, on kind of making the deposits basically in our own practice over time, right? That great investment of the self, which you've been doing now for over 20 years. Then what we start to see in the garden outside, planting those seeds internally, is, is I think, a gestation of, 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 and I'm mixing my metaphors now, but we see, you know, this blooming in of, of all these beautiful relationships with this diverse ecosystem wherein, you know, we each pollinate each other. In other words, you know, to bring them together, we, 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 we create a, a garden of these different batteries that, that, that can gestate something truly profound unto itself. And I feel like it's, it's not often talked about the corollary between the inner work and the outer relationships, but you so astutely drew that connection. And it's the thing that I'm, I think, so passionate about. I, I, I would love to know for you, Light, what do you feel or what are some of, maybe it's a story from, you know, and, and I know you're great at sharing stories because you do it on a daily basis. Perhaps it's a story, perhaps it's an anecdote, perhaps it's just a reflection. But how have you noticed your relationships change um, as a result of your inner practices? And or have you, how have you seen um, meditation guide you in, in, in so far as... Because for those listening who don't know, you are currently, I, I believe, unless you unless you've decided to root down in Mexico City, but you are you you several years ago decided to to shed all of your belongings and live out of one literally one bag. And I remember seeing that on Instagram that you po- posted a picture of your backpack. Mm-hmm. Um, and what I what I noticed, I'll, and I'll pause here and let you talk here in a second. But what I noticed is. I, I, I think culturally, like many people lived under the fallacy, and I think even you shared a bit years ago, I built a house and got the car, the sexy car, the camper van, all the toys that I thought would call in my queen. You know, I was like, okay, this is, I'm just going to, if you build it, she will come. And what I realized is that was a, uh, a fallacious uh, premise. And I now have been to a degree, instead of owning all my things, my things have owned me, which is why I flew back to Tulum, a story for another day. But you've now shed your belongings, and yet, it occurs to me, have probably stronger relationships than ever. Um, And at least it occurs to me, are deeply content. Now, I'm, I, you know, I have, these are all passive observations. So I, I obviously love your direct experience. But what have you, there's probably a couple questions here. But what have you garnered in the process of your nomadic sensibility, as it relates to the correlation between sort of shedding that which does not serve and calling in more of that which does in the form of, of the essential things that actually truly drew bring fulfillment? So I'm going to go back and, and I want to, I'm going to, you asked me like three questions. So I'm going to answer. I think I asked you four or five, actually. So I, I, appreciate, them you, I appreciate you going wherever you want to go. <laughs> so the first one is the metaphor of the black hole and the battery. And, um, and I really love the idea, the visualization of the black hole 
right? Because obviously I think the intent is to kind of portray one as desirable and then one as undesirable. And, you know, when I, I've been teaching people meditation for um, over 15 years and there are two different reasons usually why people come to learn how to meditate, right? One reason is usually I'm curious or um, uh, I know someone who inspired me. That was my, my, uh, that's what got me in the room is I had a friend who really enjoyed meditation and, and I just wanted to have what he had and whatnot. And then the other group, it's the people who just got out of a relationship with a narcissistic partner and mom and dad were codependent and they were enmeshed with some kind of crazy drama with that, or they were in some sort of toxic relationship with something could have been a substance. It could have been, you know, a dark night of the soul, something. And I feel like with black holes, there's purpose in that too, because they kind of guide us back to ourselves. If we can, if we can hear that, we can listen to that. And I'm just making that distinction because I don't want anybody listening to think that, you know, if they're in that space right now, that there's nothing of use there because there is something of use there. And that could be the stepping stone that they need, not that they want, obviously, because nobody wants that, but that they need to elevate and to get to the next level of their evolution, which could be going and taking a meditation class or downloading headspace or reading the alchemist or you know any of these other sort of gateways back to themselves and um and i'm really big on on using whatever is happening in our experience uh to find to find our path right that's that's what i end up talking a lot about um regarding my own path I haven't, I wouldn't say that I have consciously envisioned like where things have ended up. I mean, look, I have days where I feel like I, I doubt everything, you know, am I doing the right thing? I'm here by myself in this Airbnb. I'm not in a relationship, living out of a backpack. Uh, you know, is this what is going to attract the things that I feel like, like I want in my life. And I think if ultimately we have to also get to a point where we realize we don't always get what we want, but we are always placed in proximity to what we need, whatever that looks like. And, uh, and maybe what we want is on the other side of, of, of moving through whatever that opportunity is for us, which is to always usually to step up and, and expand in some way. And, um, and whether that is writing your book, starting your podcast, you know, going up and introducing yourself to someone, getting out of your comfort zone in one way or another. And so I'm just kind of resigned to doing what feels most aligned with my internal guidance and then letting the chips fall where they may, you know, and, and I don't necessarily have to be happy about it. It, it. it can be an experience that I'm having where I feel like I'm being used almost, right. I'm not trying to make anything happen. I'm just being, I'm allowing myself to be used and to be channeled um, and to be the channel for what Stephen Pressfield calls the muse 
and, uh, and just keep showing up for the work as much as possible. And so if the work for me is show up at REI and get this backpack and try to figure out how you're going to fit all your stuff into the backpack, then I'll, you know, I'm going to do that. I don't know how it's going to happen, but I'm going to do that. I'm at least going to go to REI and take a look at the backpacks, right? I'll at least do that. And then we'll see what happens from there. And, um, but yeah, I'm saying, you know, I, 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 none of this stuff was necessarily comfortable for me to do. Um, even like you mentioned, I send out these daily inspirational, uh, messages and whatnot. Like that's not necessarily comfortable, like waking up because I, you know, getting up at five, I was up till, I was up till 1230 last night. Cause I didn't feel like I didn't want to have to get up at five 30 this morning because I got to do it either right before I go to bed or right when I wake up, that's the only time I kind of have for it. And I would love to just go to sleep and just not worry about it, you know, <laughs> like everybody else. But I made I made an agreement to follow my inner guidance when I was 29 years old, living in Harlem, New York. And if it says get up at 5:30, then I'm gonna get up. I'm not worried about what I'm gonna write. I know it's gonna come through if I make the time. And so that's what I tell people is like just to even start off, listen to whatever's coming through. And just try to show up for it as best as you can. And don't worry. Because I think where we go wrong is we worry about the outcome, the result. How am I going to think of something to write or something to, how am I going to get all these guests for this podcast that I've been wanting to start? It's like, no, that's not what you need to worry about. You just need to get a microphone and just, you know, get an account with your podcast host provider. And then after you do your part, then the next step will be revealed to you at that point. And I, I find that kind of a liberating um, methodology because it, it, you, don't, it, you don't have to get bogged down by the details. You just have to worry about the next step. That's all. Mm. So I don't know if that answers your questions, but. <laughs> yeah, no, it, 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 it did beautif- beautifully so. In fact, it evoked for me, there's a guest uh, who I had on the show named Boyd Vardy. And he was actually one of my favorite guests. Um, and he's a lion tracker. And he mm. lives in the southern uh, bushveld of, of South Africa. Mm-hmm. And like I think actually you and I, all, everyone listening would get a tremendous kick out of listening. He, during the very beginning of the pandemic, decided to go live in a tree in the middle of the bush and record every day his, like you do your daily dose, his reflections from this tree at the very beginning of of our collective pandemic. And this place he lives is actually where Nelson Mandela went when he got out of prison to ground in nature. It's the best place in the world to see wild leopards. And he studied with the Shongan trackers. And in essence, what he shared is highly analogous to what you just shared in that he uses the analogy of, tr- of tracking lions, which just for the record, he's not hunting. He's, he's using it to track so that he can be an observation of the majesty, which is nature. Um, but he talks about when we lose track, right, which is a great metaphor for how we live our lives. When we lose our track, it's not about trying to discern the entirety of the path, right? It's not about like, you know, getting lost in this notion of like all the things that, you know, need to come in order for, you know, this culmination. It's actually simply about finding your next first track, 
where is the first, where's the next right track where you feel like, okay, this is, this is the first track. And then from that track, you discover and discern when the, where the next track is. But I think one of the things that I've discovered in, and now I'm about about 130 episodes in, one of the things I've, I've realized from my guests, which are all my teachers, is the thing that I see consistently being done by those who are quote unquote successful, um, which I, I probably define differently than many, is that they practice what I would call segmenting, which is this exact practice you just articulated, which is instead of getting lost in the grandeur of the goal, they simply break down what is the next right step, the, the component parts broken down such that you, we often get lost in the, in the seemingly insurmountable goal. And, and, and in doing so, you know, I'll be vulnerable. I think I even, I think you might know this, but like when I started, I started recording my podcast in 2014, you know, and I know many people that have a podcast that they want to launch that have a dream they want to launch. I didn't launch my podcast like for five years because I wanted it to be perfect because I had an ego conversation that said, you can't go from hosting Jay-Z and Beyonce on stage to some cat in his living room on Skype interviewing people. That's a massive career step down. I mean, all the different things that got my way, right? And it was only when I went to a Fleetwood Mac show and saw this tribute to Tom Petty and realized tomorrow's never promised. All of us are going to die. I could die tomorrow and I'd be sitting on some amazing conversations that I love. Um, and I, wa- I don't want to die with my music in me. And so I didn't know what was going to happen, but I just knew I was going to publish one episode the next day. And if two people came, two people came. But it's that notion, I think, of for us of, of, of putting out that first, finding that first track and following where it leads us. And to me, that's been such a gift. I, you know, you and I talked briefly when we got on the call, but Tulum, which you in part, I mean, I, I think inspired. And I've thought about you a bunch, you know, I, Tulum, I literally had a backpack. I mean, it wasn't quite as small as your backpack. I had a carry on bag and a backpack, but I went to Tulum thinking I was going to be there for a week. And I just kept following the track and it kept me in Tulum. And I, six months later, I was still in Mexico, you know? Um, and I feel it's actually t- fundamentally shifted. So as now I'm back here in Los Angeles where we've known each other, as you can mm-hmm. see, surrounded by a whole apartment worth of, of stuff, uh, mm-hmm. which I now get to shed, which is going to be an interesting process. But basically where I've realized that I'm no longer, I no longer fit in this track, right? Like this place, which served me over the last six years of my life, no longer fits the man I've now become as a result of me following the tracks through Mexico. Mm-hmm. What, what have you discovered now? I, I, I don't know how long it's been. I think it's been a couple of years and I appreciate your vulnerability, by the way, earlier in sharing, like, it's not like every day you feel like, Oh, you've like, uh, like, Oh, I'm, I'm on the right track. I've realized the dream. And I think, I think any true, but whenever people ask me about teachers and guides, I'm always like, I don't know the answer, but what I will say is follow the people that are humble, because in my experience, people who are working with, whether it be medicine or meditation, come from a place of service and humility, not uh, not prescription and uh, projections. And I've I know all the answers. Uh, But that said, obviously, you've likely garnered some insights. 
first of all, because I'm I, selfishly about to approach this stuff, what did you, first question, and then there's a second follow-up, but what did you learn when you shed your, because you had a two-bedroom apartment here in Venice, you shed all your belongings to get down to one backpack. One, how did you have the courage to do that? Because I've been thinking about moving now for two, three, maybe even four years, and I still haven't done it. It's kind of like the podcast in the form of moving. What 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 epiphany led to you deciding to make that move? And what did you learn through the process of moving from a two-bedroom apartment to a backpack? I had a friend who um, had been nomading um, uh, probably a year before me. And he kind of, insp- he kind of, like you said about me, he did that. He planted the idea for me, but also... I watched the documentary Minimalism, and that kind of gave a lot of perspective to having less. And uh, I don't know, man, I just kind of felt I felt the inner calling to do it. It's actually this is my third time being nomadic. So it also wasn't my first time, which which helped because I had done it before. But it's been a long it's been it's been 20 years since the previous time. Um and I wasn't like, you know, I'm, I'm in my forties, you know, I was 45 years old when I did it. This was in May of 2018. So usually people, my, in my life stage, they're even thinking about retire. I have friends who are retiring from their career that they've been in for 25 something years. And, uh, they've grown kids and co- who've graduated college. Right. So they have family. Some of them are grandparents. And uh, so it's usually it's usually not the direction one goes in in their mid 40s, you know, going towards less. They usually go towards more stability, getting the sort of they're becoming the patriarch of their family. Maybe their parents are not around anymore. And so their household is becoming the central uh, location for all the members of the family and and that kind of thing. And uh, so, yeah, everything inside of me was um there were definitely doubts you know like is this what i really want to be doing i didn't own anything um i don't own anything i don't own any property i don't have any there was no like assets or fallback plans or any of that stuff you know and um but again i made that vow to myself to do that and it's almost like it's like the steve jobs commencement speech where he says you can't connect dots looking forward so i've i've just made peace with that you know and just realized that hey what i'm doing is not and that's kind of and that's what joseph campbell says if 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 you know what your path is that's not your path (laughs) your path (laughs) you're literally blazing it step by step you know with the machete in the brush and and so you don't know what's beyond whatever you can see in front of you, which may not be much, right? You just be able to see the one obstacle that's in front of you and your whole next month is about getting around this obstacle. And once you get around that, there may be a whole new one that it's like, man, this is what I sound, signed up for. But it, that, that's also the adventure of it, you know? Like, and I, I've kind of leaned into that and, and um, very much seeking out the the discomfort zone, right? Wherein everybody else is looking for the comfort zone. I'm looking for the discomfort zone. Mm. And I want to find comfort in wielding the machete in the brush and let that be like my my 
go-to place for solace, right? Because I know that, you know, when you live long enough, you see that usually people's plans don't go the way they think they were going to go. And, um, and that's where you go off the rails is when the plan deviates and you, you get kind of catapulted into this, this uh, zone of, of the unknown. And that's where people kind of lose their, their grounding. But what if you can find your grounding in that space, you can be of service to a lot more people. So it's kind of like, I'm like the crazy scientist doing all the experiments on myself. And, um, and that's, that's my contribution to the tribe, right? I'll, I'll explore. Maybe it's going to be great. Maybe, maybe not. I don't know, but I'll, I'll be the one to explore it and write about it. And then also, you know, the writing is really, has been really pivotal as well, because it's given me an outlet like your buddy in, in, in South Africa to kind of talk about about the journey and it keeps me really focused on the journey because I feel like it's it's so easy to again shift away from the journey and can go to the outcome go to the result and that's where we that's where we're going to start playing those mind games on ourselves about am I doing the right thing but if you keep coming back to the moment and the process and you look you know, at what's going well in the moment. Okay, I can walk up these stairs to my Airbnb here in Mexico City. So my legs are healthy. That's great. That's a great thing, right? And I have clean water to drink and that's great. And it tastes wonderful. And and I've liberated myself from alcohol and that's amazing, right? There are people who have all the stuff, all the material stuff, all the money in the world who can't do that no matter what they try, they can't seem to do that. And that alcohol is making them make choices that are just causing their family and their other relationships to be so strained and toxic. And so there's value to that, right? There's value to being able to see and there's value being able to do a pull-up out in the pull-up bar outside. So once you just stay in the moment and you start to notice all the things that are going well in the moment, which is what I write about, right? That's all I'm really, if you look at, if you distill all of my writings down to the essence, it's really just about being grateful for what's happening right now. And, and if you can use it to help other people, that's it. Mm-hmm. And so you can't write about that thousands of times in the span of, you know, five or six years and not, not have it translate into your moment to moment experience in life. And, and in a way that was very intentional, right? I, I, I started the writing these, what I call the daily dose of inspiration. I started that because I just wanted to practice writing my, my internal guidance said to start writing a daily email. And I was inspired by Seth Godin and a couple other people who I who have daily emails. Naturally, my mind was like, don't do that. That's going to be crazy. You're going to put your, you're painting yourself into this corner where you have to, you travel too much to do, you know, all the different excuses. And, uh, but the, the amazing uh, side effect to that is I've, I've, it's trained me to be able to see the silver lining in almost anything. And so it's really hard for me to have a bad day. I have bad moments like everybody else. You know, I go through my little emotions and stuff, like I said earlier, but the bounce back is so much faster because every day there's a deadline every 24 hours, you have to send out some inspiration to people, which means you have to genuinely feel inspired. Mm -hmm. 
Mm. And, and in order to do that, you have to see whatever you're going through in a different way than what you may normally see it as. And, and you can't steep in it too long because, you know, you're, you're out there helping people. And I tell people your purpose is going to involve helping people in some form or fashion. Your path is not leading you to make more money so you can be more comfortable. That's not your path, right? Your path is to evolve and to grow and to maybe use some of your talents and skills uh, in order to help uplift humanity in some way that's unique to your particular life experience. And then, and you already, you're already on the path, by the way, it's not that you have to go find the path. You just have to be, you have to, to come to terms with the fact that you're on your path and what you're facing right now is a part of your path. And it's not, it's not blocking you from, where you should be. This is an obstacle. This is your, your gym, your inner gym. So navigating that relationship is going to give you all the skills you need for the next mountain you're going to have to climb and et cetera, et cetera. Mm. I think you, you, you drew such an important distinction there that I just want to kind of drive home, which is this notion of shifting in momentarily into gratitude, right? You know, we, we know that if you're living in gratitude, you can't really be in that place of judgment and, and, you know, that, that wormhole. I mean, I think one of the, one of the great challenges of the pandemic, and I think, I think life in general at the moment is, is the mental consequence of, of the time and, and space that we're living in um, and social media, the challenges, all, all of these different pieces that, that are kind of a, a, an assault, if you will, that, that add great amounts of noise in a world where we're perpetually trying to find that signal. But gratitude is one of the great cleansers, one of the great uh, frequency breakers that allows us, I think, to step back into that inner sense of signal. The other, which I just want to drive home as well, is that notion of focusing out. I love I love that that notion of being of service, that notion of how how you know our purpose isn't going to be accumulating more wealth. It's how in some way or another are we a stand for another. And what what came up for me as you were sharing your story was I remembered actually a date Back when I first moved to LA, I did, you know, and I, you may have even been there. Did you come to the event, the 80th birthday event that I, that I did with the Dalai Lama back in 2015? I didn't make it to it. No. Okay. I don't think I was in town. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, so in essence, in lead up to that event, Andrea, who you know, well, and I were literally sitting here one day and we had the hardest day of one of the hardest days of my life in that I think I had been building for a year basically fell apart. Mm-hmm. And the guy, without going into great narrative, who was the, my intermediary to the Dalai Lama, which I've been working now for almost a year on, basically, uh, we had a very big breakdown. And it was very clear that after all the work, it was about to fall apart. Now, keeping it real, uh, that night was also, and you, you mentioned Preston, a, f- a few of us at that time were doing a leadership program. Uh, called MITT. And, and I was in the the last part of that program, which was a, a program called PhD, where you had to give basically a workshop or a presentation as your kind of graduating thesis. And that night, for whatever reason, happened to be the night that I had my, uh, that I had my workshop. So I had 50 people coming to watch my graduation. Now, mind you, I had just had like one of the most, like if I had my druthers, 
at that time I was drinking, I would have gotten a bottle of tequila or whatever. And I would have, I would have wallowed in the pain and the misery of my dream falling apart and et cetera. Long story short, I show up to that, that, uh, facility where I was leading the workshop and I had another breakdown. Basically, the, the woman who had, was organizing it like lost her stuff, yelled at me, cursed me out because she had like a mental breakdown. And so I went from one person basically having a total breakdown to another person having a breakdown. And in 15 minutes from that second breakdown, I had to lead a meditation and a workshop for 50 people. And I share this to, sh to say that that was one of the greatest gifts of my life because what I thought would have been my max, you know, it's, it's like my equivalent of like a Navy SEAL training, you know, where it's like, mm -hmm. I thought for sure I hit my max and I would go to a default coping mechanism uh, in that instance back in the day would have been a drink. Instead of going to that default, I had to step up and be in service and be in my commitment to be at integrity with what I set out to do, just as you talked about your daily writing, right? And that commitment, whereas before I probably would have seen it as antithetical to one of my core values, which is freedom, I realized in that moment that my freedom lay in my commitment. In my commitment that night, I actually transcended the, 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 the limiting, you know, uh, the limiting muscle, which was to go to the thing that would numb me from the pain and instead went through the discomfort and in so doing realized a next level in myself and mm -hmm. holding that space that night for those 50 people, I actually had some people came up and said literally that they think that that was my purpose. Like it will even, I'm not a workshop facilitator by nature. I, I don't do that for a living. I'm not a coach, you know, by, you know, whatever, by, by living, but that was my, my curriculum. And I was able to shift my state enough by focusing out on other people that it occurred to everyone else in the room that they would never have known that I, just before that I had one of the worst days of my life and two massive breakdowns. And that was because I was able to focus out in service and, and be in the commitment to myself. And I feel like that was evoked from your sharing because I've never shared that story, but I feel like Exactly what you said is oftentimes I think we get lost in the woods of what do I do next or what's my purpose or all of these different massive questions. Or sometimes we get mired in self-pity and wallow in the, in the sh frankly, in the shit, you know. And the question I have sometimes then is how do we turn that into, for lack of a better term, my distinction, but spiritual compost? How do we turn that shit into actually the catalyst for new growth? And for me, you just on you just laid out, I think, probably the two greatest ways to do that, which is one is shifting your focus to gratitude. And secondly, shifting into being of service, being a stand for someone else or, or others, because I don't know of a greater medicine than those two things for shifting your, your mindset in a way that that uh, gets you out of the shit, for lack of a better term, and actually gets you back into a place of, of service and growth. Uh, so you, I, I, you just, I don't know, you, you, you hit it on the head for me right there. And I just, I feel like I wanted to 
to, to, to share that in a way. Cause I feel like mm-hmm. a lot of people, I mean, probably more for you cause you're, you're, you're in a stand on this on a daily basis in terms of your commitment. You're not doing a workshop once in a while. You you're literally standing every day in your truth. What, what have been some of the great reflections in your process from that daily commitment to yourself? Like it, what, what have been some of perhaps the feedback that you've gotten from others who read, read that daily dose or what, what has come alive for you as a result of that commitment to be a stand for others, right? Cause you're not charging anyone for this daily dose. This is just a commitment that you're making yourself to be a stand for others. What, what's come alive for you as a result? Uh, wow. Um, well, first of all, I want to go back and just comment on what you just said. Cause that was, okay. that was again, that was so beautiful. Um, it got me thinking about, the relationship between gratitude and, and meditation and, um, and how when you're in the heat of the moment, like you were in, right. Where you had to go and lead this meditation, like you may not have had time to sit down and ground and meditate and, you know, clear out the stress of the day. So that's where gratitude meditation is kind of like, I was, I was telling a group of people yesterday, meditation is kind of like, oil change. It's like Jiffy Lube. It's like taking your car to Jiffy Lube, right? Something that maybe you convince yourself that I don't have a whole lot of time to do, but hey, Saturday things just opened up. I'm gonna go to Jiffy Lube because I know it's going to help keep everything lubricated so that um, my car can keep functionally functioning optimally. But if you're in traffic and there's some crazy things that just happen and you have to like swerve and whatnot, Meditation is not going to help you. Jiffy Lube is not going to help you in that situation. So, so gratitude is kind of like your seatbelt, right? If you have your seatbelt on and you have to slam on the brakes or you get into a fender bender, gratitude in that life situation where people are like melting down around you is going to help to give you that spaciousness that mm-hmm. will allow you to then go to the next event and not bring all that toxicity with you to the next event or to alchemize it, to use it, to be vulnerable, to relate to people on a more human level. And, and then they end up commenting of, oh, wow, you, that was, I've never felt you be so, so present as you were in that moment or the thing you said was so poignant. Right. Because you were able to use that instead of allowing it to use you, because that's what ends up happening is that negativity ends up using you. And then you end up coming off as trying to trying to uh, validate yourself or being defensive, you know, and that's not really who you are. Right. That's not your most authentic expression. And that's what I think we all want to go for. But it needs to be so integrated that we don't we're not relying on our intellect to have to think about it because that's also not authentic is when you have to think about it. And it reminded me when you were telling me about that experience, you've been to the shine before, right? Of course. Yeah. So one of our biggest shines was at Wanderlust in Hollywood and Wander. This is back when Wanderlust was, was first starting out. I think we were probably one of their first big events in that, in that huge massive room. And they have all this state of the art, like audio visual technology. And you'll appreciate this because you produce events, but 
we tested everything out. You know, there's like the community time where everyone's eating and hanging out. And then everyone goes into the big auditorium and then the show starts and I'm hosting, I'm producing and hosting. We test everything out. Everything works, blah, blah, blah. Then people start filing in and then the whole system collapses and the guy, the only person who knows how to operate it, he's gone out on a date. So he set it all up and then he left. And no one else knows what to do. There's no video. There's no audio. This is back. I think <laughs> Dallas Clayton was going to be speaking. There's no, his microphone doesn't work. There's like 400 people. And now I have to go up there and, and host this event. And it's like, I have, I literally have a migraine headache, right? Because I have no idea what I'm going to do and how it's going to work. And so, and we had like three videos we were showing. I mean, the whole show is audio video. Yeah. So I get up there, man, and I just start tap dancing and improvising and trying to be, you know, funny and get people involved and make light of the situation. And I had so many people come to me who were Shine fans at the end of that and say that was the best Shine I've ever been to. Meanwhile, I have a I have a severe headache at the end of it. I just want to go home, just want to go to sleep, right? I just want to forget about the whole thing. But it ended up it ended up being beautiful and I wasn't trying to, I was just being myself. I was probably more myself that night than I've ever been hosting the shine because I had to be, I didn't really have a choice. Yes. But after moving through that experience, man, I could, I could produce and host in my sleep, right? Yes. I had nothing phased me because now I had a point of reference for what, how bad it could go. And so every little thing that happened after that, I was like, ah, oh, that's not, not that big of a deal. It's fine. So that obstacle ended up being a master's program in, <laughs> in being yourself when you're out there hosting and then producing when nothing is going well. And I tell people all the time, you know, those, those things that, that come up that don't go your way, that those are golden opportunities. Don't let those, don't let those go to waste, right? You lean into those and use those because you're going to learn something from, from those opportunities that's going to help you in your next uh, stage of, of, of evolution, whatever that looks like. Even if you're working at like, like if you're working at Whole Foods in the deli, right? Like I see people, um, you've been to the deli, I'm sure a lot, everyone's oh, been yeah. to the deli in Whole Foods and you go and you order, you order by the pound, right? Sometimes I play with the person just to see, you know, how much do you think it is? Cause that's all they do all day long is like weigh stuff. And I was like, how much do you think that is? And more often than not, they can get it to the T, like, oh, that's 1.3 pounds. And I think to myself, I don't always articulate this, but I think you're going to be in a situation one day where you're going to have to guess the weight of something. And it's going to be saving someone's life. And no one else in the world is going to be able to do that as well as you because you've kind of, you know, routinely had to do this without thinking about it. And I, I feel like that about everybody, you know, if you're working at a toll booth, if you're working, whatever your your day-to-day -day existence entails, you're being trained for something that is going to come into play when it's a life or death situation. And, and when that happens, you're going to end up acting, you know, like you said with the Navy SEALs example, like the reason they put these guys in cold water and, you know, starve them and put them out in the middle of nowhere for days on end and no sleep 
is because it's realistic that they could be in a situation like that and they don't have time to be wondering about how hungry they are or when are they going to get to sleep again. They need to be able to function as optimally as they can under those conditions. So I feel like we're all kind of in Navy SEAL training in our life right now. And, um, and if we can remind ourselves of that and find the gratitude in that, it doesn't mean you have to uh, accept that that's going to be the way your life is for rest for forever. It's, it's not, right? You just have to, you, if, if, but if the more present you are and the more grateful you are, the, the more you're going to be able to spot an opportunity to maybe elevate to another level or to take advantage of another opportunity. So well said. Uh, it reminds me probably a book that you've read, but I had Ryan Holiday on the podcast and his book, Obst- The Obstacle is the Way, was seminal for me in exactly this distinction. Um, and, and, and to your other point, meditation, I think that seatbelt idea, for me, that pause, that's the space between, that liminal space between stimulus and response, you're absolutely right. Like I didn't have a chance to meditate that night, but my years of meditation previously enabled me to show up that night and to shift into gratitude. I didn't realize it, but it kind of bring it full circle to the point you made at the very beginning of the conversation you know, I started meditating when I was 19 and, you know, it's like, I think that level of, of, of inner ability, it's only the obstacles that allow us and afford us the opportunity in some ways to see how far our training has taken us because it's in the obstacles that actually our metal is tested. And as you so aptly used the distinction earlier, like the Joseph Campbell, you know, the hero's journey you know, there's always in the archetype of the hero's journey, a descendance before the ultimate transcendence, you know, to put it in, in very real terms, you know, Luke Skywalker in Star Wars, you know, which is, a, which is a story I think almost everyone listening will know, right? That's based off the Joseph Campbell archetype of the hero's journey. And, you know, for anyone who hasn't listened, go and listen to those Joseph Campbell, Bill Moyers conversations uh, back in the day on PBS about the, the myth and, and, and the archetype of, of these primal myths that many of us are still living into. But I, I think you're, you're so spot on like in terms of, you know, that, that, that is, that is the work that is the journey. And it's, it's actually, you know, we all, we all have this fallacy. I think also this certain linear path of where we think our lives are going and inevitably, you know, as you said earlier, you know, we don't, we don't always get what we want. This is more of a rolling stones than Joseph Campbell, but we get what we need, or at least we get put in the proximity of, of what we need. And I feel like, that's that's such a beautiful and eloquent discernment because I think I've known you now for quite some time. I, I don't think either of us probably would have guessed seven years ago that we would be where we are here right now. Um, but I'm very grateful and very happy that I am where I am. Uh, I'm grateful for the obstacles that have, have tested my metal and I'm grateful for the tools like meditation that have enabled me to stay the course during challenging times. And, and also for the relationships, you know, with, with folks like yourself, the Preston that you mentioned earlier, a variety of others where you feel, I feel like you see these people kind of, even if we're not in the same city, you see folks taking their walk and, and, and that walk I feel inspires you 
in ways that um, you don't even know. Like for you, for me, for you, you know, taking that picture of that backpack was inspirational for me. I was like, man, you know, what would it be like? I, I had the similar conversation as, as you had, you know, I'm, I'm now in my forties. So I was like, you know, this is something you do in your gap year when you're 21, which is something I did do in my gap year when I was 21. Um, but also, you know, and real talk, I thought, you know, by this stage in life, I'd have a partner and I'd have a family and at, at present, you know, hopefully God willing, that'll happen. But at present, that's not my reality, but instead of being attached to and waiting for that to happen, it's like, okay, well, what's in the charm? What's in my listening when I take my, my quiet moments within, when I, when I do my meditation, what, what's alive for me. And for me, that next first step was Mexico. My now, my now, my next first, step, my next right step is actually going to be Europe for the summer. But for me, it's, it's, I don't know distinctly why. I just know what feels charming in the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, and for me, that's been, that's been um, a guiding light. So I guess in some ways, I, I want to say thank you because I don't even know if you knew this, but you know, I've been reading your, your daily inspiration and, 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 and interestingly enough, you know, like I actually have, I don't know if you know this, I think you gave it to Gianna. I think you gave away many of your possessions when you left Venice, but you have a thing that reminded me actually of my dad. It's a, it's two pens and like a globe, like a compass globe that, that would have sat on in the front of a desk. And at least Gianna told her, I think, I think it was yours. I think you gave it to Gianna. When Gianna moved, she gave it to me. And so I have that next to uh, the piece that was on my father's desk, which said, a ship in its harbor is safe, but that's not what ships are made for. And hmm. so um, I want to just thank you because that has been in part an inspiration for me on, uh, on shedding anchor, if you will and find, finding home within and in the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, didn't, I didn't remember that. I, I, gosh, I need to ask you, we need to talk about Gianna after the cast because she's got a lot of wonderful changes happening in her life. So, um, But yeah, man, and I, I, I keep going back to what you said earlier, but you asked me um, what I've gotten from writing the daily emails. And I, I'm honored to know that you're a reader of those emails. Um, one of the things that I was not expecting was was um, having an opportunity to get out of my own way, right? Because when you're putting content out there, and I have a podcast, so you know, the same thing kind of comes up with that. But when you're putting content out there, obviously you want it to be well received, you want it to sound great, you know. And I'm on, I've never really considered myself to be an amazing writer. That's not, but I, but I do feel like I can string together some thoughts in amazing ways sometimes. Maybe they could, another writer who's more skilled can, can be more poetic than I can be or can articulate them um, using more flowery language. But, but um, what I've learned through that process of literally doing it, you know, well over couple thousand times is what my voice is versus what the voice is and as often as possible whittling it away whittling my voice out of it 
And so I'm capturing the essence of the voice that is coming through me as much as possible. Now, obviously, you know, I'm not successful all the time, but I have been successful in that enough to kind of know the feeling tone of when it's, when it's been transcribed in a way that it doesn't feel like it's my ego. Mm. Right. And, uh, and that's been, that's been a years long process. Right. It didn't happen. It didn't happen soon at all. And I'm still going through it, but now I know that's, when I sit down to edit, that's what I'm editing for is let me get the, the essence of this and take out my, the stuff where I'm trying to prove that I'm smart or I'm witty or I'm insightful or I'm funny. And some of those are my best lines. I think like my, my ego thinks that's it, but you're going to cut that line. That's the best line. <laughs> yeah. You know, but it's like, no, that's not, that's not, that's not the essence of this, of this, uh, this message. And so that takes a lot of discipline to self edit. Right. Um, but that's been, that's been something that I was not expecting and it's made me a better transcriber of, of the muse in the process. And, and that's something that I don't think you can really tell someone or teach someone. You just have to go through it for yourself. Cause you know, I get messages. And so today's message Case in point, I wrote about when you, I'm paraphrasing, when you are complaining about someone, um, there's a good chance that person's teaching you something. And so focus on the message and not on the character flaws of the teacher, right? And I got a spectrum of responses back from what about abusers you're telling people to accept abuse and so i get that end of the spectrum and then i get the other end which is is exactly what i need to hear today oh my god thank you for sending this and everything in between and that's when i know that i've kind of captured the essence of it because because it elicits a response from people that perfectly reflects what's going on inside of them instead of them having to respond to what's going on inside of me. Mm. Right. I don't know if that makes a lot of sense, but when my ego's in it, then it's all about me. I'll you know, get it. Congratulations. Light. You know, that's awesome that, you know, <laughs> instead of, you know, this is what came up for me when I, yes. when I read that. And, uh, and so that's, that's instructive. It's, it's growth oriented. It allows people to look at themselves and, and, and that's what's beautiful about it. And I'm as big a fan of, of those messages as anyone else. Cause I feel like I'm not the author of them. So I, I'll, I need them for myself, you know, like a lot of the stuff that I'm that's coming through me is stuff that I need to hear for myself. So yes. it's, it's a really, really beautiful process of distillation and, interpretation and all of those things that is kind of mutually beneficial for myself as well as for the audience. And that's kind of how I know it's, it's, um, it's what I'm supposed to be doing. And the other way is that it's resulted in this, this book, you know, that's what this book is. Essentially it is, it is the greatest hits, meaning the most 
popular, the ones that got the, the big, had the biggest impact um, over the five years, Knowing Where to Look, 108 Daily Doses of Inspiration, which would be my third book, as you mentioned. And uh, that never would have happened. Like, I didn't set out to write this book. I just was like showing up every morning, writing these daily emails. And then the thought came through my agent, hey, do you ever think about turning that into a book? And so we put together a little proposal and shopped it around and people, publishers were into it. Eckhart Tolle's publisher, Sounds True, was like, yeah, we want to do, we want to publish this book. And, uh, and you know, and, and so it was a very organic process. And, and I feel like that's when you're in your path, when you're in the moment, you don't have to worry about finding, because people think my message is anti-capitalism or anti money or material success. No, I'm not anti that. I'm pro follow your heart. And from following your heart, you'll find the fulfillment inside and the abundance inside. And you'll attract to yourself more of what you need to give back to others. And so I attracted an agent who believes in my work and I attracted a publisher who believes in my work and I attracted the time and the means to be able to write this and put it all together and put it out into the world. And, and I'm not any smarter than anybody else. I just, I'm curious and I just keep showing up for, for what my heart is calling me to do. That's the calling, man. I love it. Knowing where to look, where can people uh, find you obviously go out and grab the book. Um, but if, if they want to find the, the world of light Watkins, the daily dope, like all the, all, all the work that you're putting out in the world, what, what are the best places to come find you? I'm at light Watkins everywhere. And then website lightwatkins.com is like the portal for everything. Beautiful, man. Well, let me ask you one final question. And, uh, and, and I recommend everyone check out light because he's putting out a lot of, of beautiful work into the world. And, and also I think just really, uh, living in the question. And I think that's, that's beautiful. You know, I think there's a lot of people out there that purport to know the answers. And I love what you said, because it's like, oftentimes we're, we are, we are, we're seeking to allow the muse, as you so eloquently put it, and, and, our, and our mutual uh, friend, uh, Stephen Pressfield has said, you know, but the work, I feel like the work is, is how do we break through the resistance such that that which is, is, is true, that which is in a way beyond us. Uh, in the form of the muse can can move through us. We can we can ostensibly be a vessel for that which both we are learning, but also we can share in a way that others can benefit in that spirit of of, of focusing out as we've kind of talked about thematically. What what is what is the 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 you know obviously you are a meditation teacher, you are a writer. These are various sort of identifiers that that society puts on us. What is the what is the question, if you will, that you're living into at the moment that that you would like to that, that in, in answering, you'd love to to be a, uh, 
if you will, a stand in the world? Like, and it doesn't have to be your core question, but what are some of the questions that, you know, Tim Ferriss, you know, you probably listen to his podcast, you know, he puts it as that, you know, if you had a billboard in the, you know, what would your billboard say? The question I guess I'm asking is if you have a question that you're asking yourself now that your life is living into such that you believe that and hoping that, that in asking that question, you know, in your expressions, whether through meditation or writing, you know, maybe there's some insights garnered for other people asking themselves the same, that, that very same question. But what is one of the questions that you're, that you're asking yourself now that you're living into through your, through your life and work? Hmm. Wow. That is such an interesting question. Um, I would say that the question I'm asking now would be akin to, um, am I optimizing my potential? I mean, I ask that question every day, like, am I doing enough? (laughs) Which is funny because, um, I was listening to a podcast with, uh, on Oprah super soul Sunday, and she was interviewing Paulo Coelho, the author of the alchemist, which is probably my favorite book. And she opened up to him and she said, they were talking about personal legends and omens and stuff. And and Oprah Winfrey said, Paulo, some days I feel like I'm not doing enough. Oprah Winfrey. (laughs) (laughs) Thinks that she's not doing enough. So then after I heard that, I was like, okay, I feel better about asking that question (laughs) because evidently it's not about how much you've done. It's just, you know, it's like my one of my friend who's a coach says, every day you wake up, the score is zero to zero. It doesn't matter who you helped yesterday. It doesn't matter what you achieved yesterday. Today is another opportunity to give it your all, you know, and to put everything, leave everything on the field, as they say. Mm. And um, and so I kind of live with that question, like, am I doing enough? And sometimes I think if you were to do, if someone did a documentary on my life and followed me around with a camera, you know, 24-7, for you know a month they would probably they could they could cast me as a workaholic who spends a lot of time alone who um seems to be relatively satisfied you know um and all these kind of quirky things right but i i think about having a family still but if you look at my life right now, kind of like what you were hinting at earlier, like there's no indication. <laughs> I, I'm like a caterpillar of every sense of the word. If, if, if a butterfly is what I'm going to be ultimately, I'm, uh, there's no indication that this caterpillar, p- caterpillar is going to become a butterfly in that particular area of life. Right. So there's some tr- trust in that. Like, am I doing everything I can to if that's what I feel called to do by doing everything I can in my power to create that, that, um, expression of life that I, I, I do think about, you know? So, so yeah, I have these kind of, uh, ambiguous things that are going on that I'm not clear about. And I wonder if I'm doing enough, but then I have these other things that I am very clear about. And sometimes I feel like I'm doing too much. And again, I just try not to connect the dots. I try not to like, I try to remind myself that just keep coming back to the moment, right? 
because as far as I've been able to see, there's no point where we evolve to where we just are in the moment all the time. And we're just, we know we never have to remind ourselves to be present. And, you know, I'm still struggling with that. Like everybody else is maybe not as much as a, someone who's never done any inner work at all. Um, so I put it on a spectrum, but, uh, yeah, I, I, I grapple with that. And, and, and I, I kind of like the question because it makes me more curious about things and it makes me more intentional about things because I have to, you have to choose, you can have anything you want, but you have to choose where you put your attention in any given moment. If you're going to, if you're going to go deep in anything, you have to choose you have to consciously choose. And I, and I've, I've said that my writing and stuff, that's like my kids, you know, like I, I'm, yeah, I'm not getting paid necessarily to write daily emails, but just like your kids are, aren't an income source there. You spend money on that, but you, you, you're raising these beings to go out and be a, you know, make the world a better place. And so that's what my, my writing and stuff is for me is, is it's a way to make the world a better place. And I'm happy to contribute to that. Beautifully said. Light Watkins. Thank you so much, my man. So appreciate you. Final question, just cause I'm curious. I, I don't ask this all the time, but I ask it sometimes, but given your work with the mind, I, I'm going to mm-hmm. ask you, what is your notion of a peak mind? A peak mind is a mind um, that is fully integrated with um, with your spirit. So it's not just your intellect. It's not just your external life, you know, and, and your willpower and being able to do 3,000 pull-ups and all of that. It's it's also being connected to that greater part of you, greater aspect of you that then informs you on how to use your mind and how to use your willpower and how to use your gifts and talents to the highest advantage of others. Beautifully said. Light Watkins, thank you so much, my man. I so appreciate it. 100%. Thank you for having me. True pleasure. And there you have it. I hope you enjoyed this episode with Light Watkins. I know that I did. It was a great conversation, I think, full of insights. If you got value out of the episode and you think someone you know might appreciate it, please go ahead and send it their way. I also, as always, greatly appreciate your rating and reviews. It helps us grow this audience. I'm committed to bringing you some incredible guests. I've got a bunch lined up and actually a bunch of episodes recorded. So planning on going hard here in the paint in the next uh, few months. So very much looking forward to adding value. You can always provide me feedback at Michael Trainer on Instagram and social media. And with that, it's a great pleasure, my friends. I look forward to next week. Talk to you soon. Until then, go out there and live your inspired life.